Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering chapter 20 of the teachings of the doctrine of eternal lives. God himself shall come down. The Apostle John. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye shall ye ye know him, and have seen him. And Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet... Hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the works alone, for the very works' sake. John chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. Right off, uh, Jesus is talking about his oneness with the Father, and a lot of Christians will say that this means that Jesus is the Father. And they're right, but not in the way that they think that they're right. When Jesus came down on the earth to lead us by his example and teach us and to pay for our sins and transgressions in the fall of Adam in the Garden of Gethsemane and seal it upon the cross... He becomes our father through the law of adoption, but he has a father above him. Revelations chapter 1 says that Jesus himself hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. When he was upon the cross, the thief said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom or when you come into paradise. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Three days later, the first person he appears to is Miriam, or Mary, as it's known in English. And he says, touch me not, for I have not yet been to the Father. Um, The reason I'm bringing this up, it's not in the book that I'm reading, um, is because a lot of people don't make the connections that Jesus had not yet been to where the Father had been at. Yet three days before that, he told the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. A lot of people believe that Jesus and the Father are the same, and they're right, but not in the way that they think. Because Jesus becomes our Father through the law of adoption, which is a law not understood by modern Christianity or modern Mormonism, but it was taught by Joseph Smith. And uh, these things began to be abandoned in in the 1890s by Wilfred Woodruff. That Jesus is our Father, 
because he paid for our sins and our transgressions in the fall of this world with the price of his own atonement. But he has a father above him, as clearly indicated in Revelations chapter 1, where Jesus hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father, clearly showing that there is a difference between the father, the son, and the father above the father. Anyway, getting it back into the reading of this, uh, this chapter, Joseph Smith. And it came to pass that I saw the heavens opened, and an angel came down and stood before me, and he said unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? And I said unto him, A virgin most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. And he said unto me, Knowest thou the condescension of God? And I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children, nevertheless I do not know the meaning of all things. And he said unto me, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of God, after the manner of the flesh. And it came to pass that I beheld that she was carried away in the spirit, and after she had been carried away in the spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake unto me, saying, Look. And I looked and beheld the virgin again, bearing a child in her arms. And the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Eternal Father. Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And I answered him, saying, Yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Therefore, it is the most desirable above all things. First Nephi chapter 11 verses 14 through 22 in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, for those of you who don't know, is the record from the tribe of Joseph. So we have the record from the, the tribe of Judah, which is the Bible. And one from the record of the tribe of Joseph, which is the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. Um, In Ezekiel chapter 37, it talks about these two records, these two scrolls or these two books that would come together in the hand of God, that one would be from the tribe of Joseph and one would be from the tribe of of Judah, which were two tribes, uh, two main tribes in, uh, well, in the Old Testament time period, but that they would have two different records that would come forth, and one is the Book of Mormon, one is the Bible. This version of scripture is taken from the original 1830 edition of the Book of Mormon, as translated by Joseph Smith and found in the Wilford C. Wood edition, volume 1, pages 24 and 25. Behold, my brethren, do ye not remember to have read the words of the prophet Zenos? So Zenos was also a prophet in the Book of Mormon. And uh, some of the words of Zenos were actually written in the Book of Lehi, which is not now had among the peoples of this world. But that record is kept in heaven and also 
I have a re- I have a copy of the Book of Lehi for myself, which was given to God by a seer in our modern age, a seer that you probably don't know of. Um, and uh, he gave me that book, and I have it uh, for a time to come in the future. Um, it's uh, People aren't ready for that book. But anyway, the prophet Zenos is mentioned by the prophet Lehi in his record, which was originally the first book in the Book of Mormon. But um, there was... Uh, there was some things that happened. Uh, many of you will know this, but for those of you who don't know, um, there were 116 pages of translation that was lost um, or stolen. And uh, I believe that God knew this would happen, but that Joseph Smith needed to understand certain things that would help him in his ministry um, things that the world is not ready to receive, and that's why um, that's why the book was uh, allowed. God allowed that to be stolen. <coughs> and having read the book, I understand why the world is not ready for these things. But anyway, so this prophet Zenos spake, and he spake unto the house of Israel, saying, "Hearken." O ye house of Israel, and hear the words of me, a prophet of the Lord. For behold, thus saith the Lord, I will liken thee, O house of Israel, unto a tame olive tree, which a man took and nourished in his vineyard. And it grew and waxed old and began to to decay. And it came to pass that the master of the vineyard went forth, And he saw that his olive tree began to decay, and he said, I will prune it and dig about it and nourish it, that perhaps it may shoot forth young and tender branches, and it perish not. And it came to the pass that he pruned it and digged about it and nourished it according to his word. And it came to pass that after many days it began to put forth somewhat a little young and tender branches but behold the main top thereof began to perish and it came to pass that the master of the vineyard saw it and he said unto his servant it grieveth me that i should lose this tree wherefore go and pluck the branches from the wild olive tree and bring them hither unto me and he will pluck and we will pluck off those main branches which are beginning to wither away, and we will cast them into the fire that they may be burned. And behold, saith the Lord of the vineyard, I will take many of these young and tender branches, and I will graft them in whithersoever I will. And it mattereth not to me that if it so be that that the root of this tree will perish, I may preserve the fruit thereof unto myself. Therefore, I will take these young and tender branches, and I will graft them in whithersoever I will. Take thou the branches of the wild olive tree, and graft them in, in the stead thereof. And these which I have plucked off, I will cast into the fire and burn them, that they may not cumber the ground of my vineyard. And it came to pass that the servant of the Lord of the vineyard did according to the word of the Lord 
the word of the Lord of the vineyard and grafted in the branches of the wild olive tree. This is talking about the Gentiles. And the Lord of the vineyard caused that it should be digged about and pruned and nourished, saying unto his servant, It grieveth me that I should lose this tree, wherefore that perhaps I might preserve the roots thereof, that they perish not, that I might preserve them unto myself, I have done this thing. Wherefore go thy way, watch the tree, and nourish it according according to my words. And these will I place in the, nether, the, the nethermost part of my vineyard, whithersoever I will. It mattereth not unto thee. And I will do it, that I may preserve unto myself the natural branches of the tree, and also that I may lay up fruit thereof against the season unto myself, for it grieveth me that I should lose this tree and the fruit thereof. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard went his way and hid the natural branches in the tame olive tree in the nethermost part of the vineyard, some in one and some in another, according to his will and pleasure. And it came to pass that a long time passed away, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, Come, let us go down into the vineyard, that we may labor in the vineyard. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard and also the servant went down into the vineyard to labor. And it came to pass that the servant said unto his master, Behold, look here, behold the tree. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard looked and beheld the tree in which the olive, wild olive branches had been grafted. And it, and it had sprung forth and begun to bear fruit. And he beheld that it was good, and the tree thereof was like unto the, was like unto the natural fruit. And he saith unto his servant, Behold, the, the branches of the wild tree have taken hold of the moisture of the root thereof, that the root thereof have brought much forth much strength. And because of the much strength of the root thereof, the wild branches have brought forth tame fruit. Now, if we had not grafted in these branches, the tree thereof would have perished. And now, behold, I shall lay up much fruit, which the tree thereof hath brought forth. And the tree, and the fruit thereof I shall lay up against the season unto mine own self. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard saith unto the servant, Come, let us go to the nethermost part of the vineyard, and behold, if the natural branches of the tree have not brought forth much fruit also, that I may lay up the fruit thereof against the season unto mine own self. And it came to pass that they went forth whither the master had hid the natural branches of the tree. And he said unto the servant, Behold these, and he beheld the first, that it had brought forth much fruit. And he beheld also that it was good. And he said unto the servant, Take of the fruit thereof, and lay it up against the season, that I may preserve it unto mine own self. For behold, he, he said, or said he, This long time have I nourished it, and it hath brought forth much fruit. And it came to pass that the servant said unto his master, How come 
comest thou hither to plant this tree, or the branches of the tree? For behold, it was the poorest spot in all the land of thy vineyard. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto him, Counsel me not. I knew that it was a poor spot of ground, whether I said unto thee, I have nourished it this long time, and thou beholdest that it hath brought forth much fruit. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, Look hither, behold, I have planted another branch of the tree also, and thou knowest that this spot of ground was poorer than the first. But behold the tree, I have nourished it this long time, and it hath brought forth much fruit. Therefore gather it and lay it up against the season, that I may preserve it unto mine own self. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said said again unto his servant, Look hither, and behold another branch also, which I have planted. Behold that I have nourished it also, and it hath brought forth fruit. And he said unto the servant, Look hither, and behold the last. Behold this I have planted in a good spot of ground, and have nourished it this long time. And only a part of the tree hath brought forth tame fruit, and the other part of the tree hath brought forth wild fruit. Behold, I have nourished this tree like unto the others. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said unto the servant, Pluck off the branches that have brought, not brought forth good fruit, and cast them into the fire. But behold, the servant said unto him, Let us prune it and dig about it and nourish it a little longer that perhaps it may bring forth good fruit unto thee, that thou canst lay it up against the season. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard and the servant of the Lord of the vineyard did nourish nourish all the fruit of the the vineyard. (coughs) Excuse me. And it came to pass that a long time had passed away, and the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his servant, Come, let us go into the vineyard, that we may labor again in the vineyard. For behold, the time draweth near, and the season soon cometh. Wherefore, I must lay up the fruit against the season unto mine own self. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard and the servant went down into the vineyard, and they came to the tree whose natural branches had been broken off, and the wild branches branches had been grafted in, and behold, all sorts of fruit did cumber the tree. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard did taste the fruit, every sort according to its number. And the Lord of the vineyard said, Behold, this long time have we nourished this tree, and I have laid up unto myself against the season much fruit. But behold, this time it hath brought forth much fruit, and there is none of it which is good. Behold, there are all kinds of bad fruit, and it profiteth me nothing. Notwithstanding all our labor, and now it grieveth me that I should lose this tree. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, What shall we do unto this tree, that I may preserve again good fruit thereof unto mine own self. And the servant said unto his master, Behold, because thou did graft the the branches of the wild tree, that they have nourished the roots, 
that they are alive and have not perished, wherefore thou beholdest that they are yet good. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said, said unto his servant, The tree profiteth me nothing, and the fruit thereof profiteth, profiteth me nothing, so long as it shall bring forth evil fruit. Nevertheless, I know that the roots are good, for mine own purposes I have preserved them, and because of their much strength they have hitherto brought forth from the wild branches good fruit. But behold, the wild branches have grown and have overrun the root thereof, and because that the wild branches have overcome the root thereof, it hath brought forth much evil fruit. And because that it hath brought forth so much evil fruit, thou beholdest that it it beginneth to perish, and it will soon become ripened, that it may, may be cast into the fire, except we should do something for it to preserve it. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, Go, let us go down in the nethermost part of the vineyard. And behold, if the natural branches have also brought forth evil fruit, it, and it came to pass they went, they went down into the nethermost part of the vineyard. <coughs> Excuse me. And it came to pass that they did behold that the fruit of the natural branches had become corrupt also. Yea, the first and the second and also the last. They had all become corrupt. And the wild fruit of the last had become that part of the tree which brought forth good fruit, even that the branches had withered away and died. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard wept and said unto his servant, What could I have done more for my vineyard? Behold, I knew that all the fruit of the vineyard, save it were these, had become corrupted, and now these which which have once brought forth good fruit have become also become corrupted and now all the tree of my vineyard are vin, the trees of my vineyard are good for nothing save it to be hewn down and cast into the fire and behold this last whose branch hath withered away i did plant it in a good spot of ground yea even that which was a choice which was choice unto me above all other parts of the land of my vineyard. And thou didst behold that I, I also cut down that which encumbered this spot of ground, that I might plant this tree in the stead thereof. And thou beheldest that a part thereof brought forth good fruit, and a part thereof brought forth wild fruit. And because I plucked not the branches thereof, and cast them into the fire, behold, they have become good, the good, they have overcome the good branch that it hath withered away. And now, behold, notwithstanding all the care which we have taken from the taken of my vineyard, the trees thereof have become corrupted, that they might bring forth no good fruit, and these I had hoped to preserve, to lay up to have laid up fruit thereof against the season unto mine own self. 
but behold, they have become like unto the olive tree, and they are of no worth but to be hewn down and cast into the fire, and it grieveth me that I should lose them. But what could I have done more in my vineyard? I have slacked mine hand, that I have not nourished it? Nay, or have I slackened my hand that I have not nourished it? Nay, have I, I have nourished it, and I have digged about and pruned it, and I have dunged it, and have stretched forth mine hand almost all the day long, and the end draweth nigh, and it grieveth me that I should, that it should be hewn down, and it grieveth me that I should hewn down, or hew down all the trees of my vineyard and cast them into the fire that they should be burned. Who is it that hath corrupted my vineyard? And it came to pass that the servant said unto his master, It is not the is it not the loftiness of the vineyard? Have not the branches thereof overcome the roots which are good? And because the branches have overcome the root thereof, behold, they grew faster than the strength of the root, taking strength unto themselves. Behold, I say, is not this the cause that the trees of thy vineyard have become corrupted? And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said, said unto the servant, Let us go to and hew down the trees of the vineyard and cast them into the fire, that they shall not cumber the ground of my vineyard, for I have done all. What could I have done more for my vineyard? And behold, the servants said unto the Lord of the vineyard, Spare it a little longer. And the Lord said, Yea, I will spare it a little longer, for it grieveth me that I should lose the trees of my vineyard. Therefore, let us take the branches of these which I have planted in the nethermost part of my vineyard, and let us graft them into the tree from whence they came, and let us pluck from the tree those branches whose fruit is most bitter, and graft them into the natural branches of the tree in the stead thereof. And this will I do, that the tree may not perish, that perhaps I may preserve unto myself the root thereof for mine own purpose." And behold, the root of the natural branches of the tree, which I planted, whithersoever I would, are yet alive. Wherefore, that I may preserve them also for mine own purpose, I will take up the branches of this tree, and I will graft them in unto them. Yea, I will graft it unto the them I will graft into them the branches of their mother tree, that I may preserve the roots also unto mine own self, that when they shall be sufficiently strong, perhaps they may bring forth good fruit unto me, and I may yet have glory in the fruit of my vineyard. And it came to pass that they took from the natural tree which had become wild, and grafted in unto the natural trees also, which also had become wild. And they also took the natural trees which had become wild and grafted into the mother tree. 
Oh, there's so much here. There's so much in this passage of Scripture. In fact, I would encourage you to go read this and ponder over at a slower pace than I'm reading it. Um, but we're not done yet, so let me get on with it. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto the servant, Pluck not the wild branches from the tree, save it be those which are most bitter. And in them ye shall graft according to that which I have said. And we shall nourish again the trees of the vineyard, and we will trim up the branches thereof, and we will pluck from the trees whose branches which are ripened. That must perish and cast them into the fire, and that and this thing I do, that perhaps the roots thereof might take strength because of their goodness, and because of the change of the branches, that the good may overcome the evil. And because that I have preserved the natural branches and the roots thereof, and that I have grafted in the natural branches again into their mother tree, and have preserved the roots of their mother tree, that perhaps the the tree the trees of my vineyard may bring forth again good fruit, and that I may may have joy again in the fruit of my vineyard, and perhaps that I may rejoice exceedingly that I have preserved the root and the branches of the first fruit. Wherefore go to and call servants that we may labor diligently with our might in the vineyard, that we may prepare the way that I may bring forth again the natural fruit, which natural fruit is good and the most precious above all other fruits. Wherefore, let us go to and labor with our might this last time. For behold, the end drieth nigh. And this is the last time that I shall prune my vineyard. Graft in the branches, bring at the last they that may be first, and that the first may be last, and dig about the trees, both old and young, the first and the last, and the last and the first, that all may be nourished once again for the last time. Wherefore, dig about them, and prune them, and dung them once more for the last time. For the end draweth nigh, and if it so be that these last grafts shall grow, and bring forth the natural fruit, then shall ye prepare the way for them, that they may grow. And as they begin to grow, ye shall clear away the branches which bring forth bitter fruit, according to the strength of the good and the size thereof, and ye shall not clear away the bad fruit thereof all at once, lest the roots thereof should be too strong for the graft, and the graft thereof shall perish, and I lose the trees of my vineyard. For it grieveth me that I should lose the trees of my vineyard. Wherefore ye shall clear away the bad according to as the good shall grow, and the root and the top may be equal in strength until the good shall overcome the bad, and the bad be hewn down and cast into the fire, that they cumber not the ground of my vineyard, and thus will I sweep away the bad out of my vineyard. I just have to say something real quick. Um, 
when God is speaking of trees in the Hebrew uh, context of scriptures, he's speaking of people. Um, right now he's speaking of the Israelite people and the Gentiles. He's speaking of the church. Um, this particular scripture goes very deep and the only way you can really understand it is by the spirit um there's many speculations on how this this what this is talking about and there can be many different meanings behind it according to what the spirit leads you to but this is very deep stuff um and it's hard to read. A lot of it's hard to read. A lot of the scriptures are, are a lot easier because you've got, you know, shorter uh, shorter chapters, basically. And there's a lot of, like, good little nuggets. But this is a huge nugget, and it's hard to comprehend. But let me continue on. And the branches of the natural tree will I graft in again unto the natural tree and the branches of the natural tree will I graft into the natural branches of the tree and thus I will bring them together again that they should bring forth the natural fruit and they shall be one yea the bad shall be cast away yea even out of the land of my vineyard for behold only this once I will prune my vineyard and it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard sent his servant, and the servant went and did as the Lord hath commanded him, and brought forth other servants, that, um, and, and they were few. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto them, Go to and labor in the vineyard that you with your might, for behold, this is the last time that I shall nourish my vineyard, for the end is nigh at hand, and the season speedily cometh. And if you will labor with your might, with me ye shall have joy in the fruit, which I shall lay up unto myself against the time which will soon come. And it came to pass that the servant did go and labor with their mights. And the Lord of the vineyard labored also with them, and they did obey the commandments of the Lord of the vineyard in all things. And there began to be the natural fruit again in the vineyard. And the natural branches began to grow and thrive exceedingly, and the wild branches began to be plucked off and, and to be cast away. And they did keep the root and the top thereof equal, according to the strength thereof. And thus they labored with all diligence, according to the commandments of the Lord of the vineyard, even until the bad had been cast away out of the vineyard, and the Lord had preserved unto himself that the trees had become again the natural fruit. <coughs> they became like unto one body. And the fruits were equal and the Lord of the vineyard had reserved unto himself the natural fruit, which was most precious unto him from the beginning. And it came to pass that when the Lord of the vineyard saw that his fruit was good, that his vineyard was no more corrupted, he called up his servants. 
and said unto unto them, Behold, for this last time have we nourished my vineyard, and thou beholdest that I have done according to my will, and I have preserved the natural fruit, that it is good even like it was in the beginning. And blessed art thou, for ye, for because ye have been diligent in laboring with me in my vineyard, and have kept my commandments, and have brought unto me again the natural fruit, that my vineyard is no more corrupted, and the bad is cast away, behold, ye shall have joy with me because of the fruit of my vineyard. For behold, for a long time will I lay up the fruit of my vineyard unto mine own self against the season which speedily cometh, and for the last time have I nourished my vineyard, and pruned it, and dug about it, and dunged it, wherefore I will lay up unto myself, own self, of the fruit for a long time, according to that which I have spoken. And when the time cometh that the evil fruit shall again come into my vineyard, then I will cause the good and the bad to be gathered, and the good will I preserve unto myself, and the bad will I cast away into its own place. And then cometh the season and the end, and my vineyard will I cause to be burned by fire. All right, that's a long scripture, but that's Jacob chapter 5, verses 1 through 77 in the Book of Mormon. Oh, man, I'm going to pause and take a break for a minute, but I'll be right back. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm pretty hot, and my voice box is uh needs a break so okay i've taken a little break and i'm coming back to this now like this is something that um there's many lessons in this and and um as we study it and ponder over it multiple times throughout our lives we can um learn more and more and uh, come at it at different angles and see things that we may not have seen before and as we grow in the spirit we can be taught more and more this is one of the deep uh deep parables in the scriptures that has so much information in it um that i would encourage people to go and read jacob chapter 5 1 through 77 um, I'll just continue on with the reading. And now Abinadi said unto them, I would that ye should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. And because he dwelleth in the fresh flesh, he shall be called the son of God. And having subjected the flesh unto the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son, the Father, because he was conceived by the power of God, and the Son because of the flesh, thus becoming the Father and Son. And they are one God, yea, the very eternal Father of heaven of and of earth, and of earth, and thus the flesh becoming subject to the Spirit, or the Son to the Father, being one God, 
suffereth temptation and yielded not to the temptation, but suffer himself to be mocked and scourged and cast out and disowned by his people. Mosiah chapter 15 verses 1 through 5. So, um, and this goes back into what I was saying before, that Jesus Christ did have a father. Um, when he went to marry it in the garden shortly after the resurrection, in fact, within, within 12 hours, he said, touch me not or hold me not for I have not yet ascended to the father. And this shows that the father and the son are two separate individuals, but that they are one in purpose and one in spirit. Uh, which is another way of saying one in purpose. Um, and it reminds me of the scripture when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was praying to the Father for his disciples. And he said um, that they may be one with with us, Jesus speaking to the Father. It's not that they're one person or that they're one entity. It's that they're one in purpose. Um that they're working towards the goal of pruning the fruit and, uh, and creating the natural fruit, um, that the father sent his son into the earth. And this also has to do with the progression of the gods, um, where Jesus Christ being the son is made the father through the atonement of us, through the law of adoption. And um, we can get really deep into this theology, but the father himself was once a redeemer, and he did the same thing on an older earth, which um, I don't think was fully understood in the time of Joseph Smith, um, but I think that he understood it to a point. Uh, but he may have understood it fully because there were many things that he could not reveal unto the saints because they simply were not ready for it. And as we come closer to the end of the telestial portion of this earth, that there are people who are ready to understand these things on a deeper level. And many people will not understand them because they have not prepared themselves spiritually to understand these deeper mysteries. But this isn't the first earth that we've lived on. And when God revealed to me that there was a secret that we are damned in a state of resurrection when we get to that point, unless we're exalted. But that the secret is that 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 vision that John had in the book of Revelations where he saw a new heaven and a new earth created, that heaven and that new earth is going to be a place where we can go to. And God revealed to me that we can put off the resurrection and go into a new mortal probation on a new earth to grow and gain the experiences that we need for a higher resurrection. And this is a continual process throughout the eons of time. And that um, and that the progression of the gods is this, that Jesus Christ was once a Kadosh or Holy Spirit. 
that he held the role of God the witness, but not on this earth. When he came into the flesh, he was the Redeemer. Before the foundation of this earth, he was chosen to be the Redeemer. And on that older earth, he lived his life as the witness of the Father and the Son of that earth, who was Yehovah our Elohim, who was the Father, who was in the role of, of, uh, of an Adam for that earth, the same way that Michael is in the role of an Adam for this earth, that Michael was our redeemer on that older earth and that Jesus was God the witness. And that when the new heaven and the new earth of that earth was created, it was this earth. And that earth was the preexistent for this earth. And that earth became one of the Shamaim or the heavens a celestial sphere, and those of us who chose put off our resurrections and we came down on this earth, and Jesus would be our Redeemer, and Michael, who was our Redeemer, became the father of that world because he had paid for the sins and transgressions and the fall of that world with his own blood through his atonement, and through the law of adoption, we become his children, spiritually. <coughs> Excuse me. And when he was um, an exalted man with his wife, he chose to come down on this earth as the spiritual father of us all. And we became his physically through, uh, through birth. So we can look at Michael as the father and Jehovah, who was the father of the last earth. He uh, he uh, um, he he grows and becomes an Elohim, which is another level of the gods. And he instructed Michael how to create this earth. If you know the temple endowment, you understand these things, or maybe maybe you don't understand these things. Um, but this is the progression of the gods. And that Yeshua, or Jesus, was foreordained to be the redeemer of this world. And as he paid for our sins and transgressions in the fall of this world, we become his children through the law of adoption because he paid for us. Then we become his. And we are still the fathers. And we're still Yehovah's. But Jesus Christ hath become the father. And at Adam and Andiamon, all of the prophets of each dispensation will surrender their keys and their scepter of power and their authority back to the Father, who is Adam, who is Michael. See, Michael took upon himself the name of God, the Eternal Father, who is highest of all. And there are none that stand beside him, but the Elohim stand under him in authority. Michael took upon his name and Ashura, Michael's wife, took upon herself the name of Hava, or as we call her Eve, which is the name of God, the eternal mother. And... When the the keys 
from all dispensations are given to Michael at Adam and on Diamond. He will then give them to his son who has become our father through the law of adoption, who is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ and his wife Miriam, or Mary, will become an Adam and an Eve to that world that John saw in the book of Revelations. That Yeshua, or Jesus, will become an Adam. And his wife Miriam will become a Hava, or an Eve taking upon themselves of God the Eternal Father and God the Eternal Mother. And God the witness of this world will be placed in the the place of a Redeemer. And when he pays for our sins and transgressions on that world, he will become a father much the same way that Jesus became a father to us in this world. And in two worlds from now, that man, who I am, will become an Adam to that world. And his wife will become an Eve or a Hava to those people. This is the progression of the gods. This is the Adam-God doctrine that was taught in the early church that the church in its... uh, in its mad rush to become popular with the world, has rejected these true doctrines uh, and many other true doctrines. And they are continuing to to seek to become popular with the world that they may gain popularity among the people of the world, which has more to do with power and money than it does with truth and authority. That's one of the reasons why Jesus said in section 85 of the Doctrine and Covenants that he would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, which implied that it would become out of order, which it has. It it had already in the days of Nauvoo and the, and the years during the Nauvoo time period when the church was rejected in 1843. And that's talked about in Doctrine and Covenants section 124, where Jesus says in 1841, Joseph, build a house unto my name, whereby the Most High, or the Father, can come dwell therein, that he might restore that which was lost unto you, or that which was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. By the time Joseph Smith was murdered, that the temple was only, they were starting work on the second story of the temple, but they had finished the Masonic temple. They had finished uh, many buildings that they took the consecrated wood that was meant for the temple to build those buildings. And Brigham Young was working on the second wing of his mansion, which is sad because the scriptures teach that It is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. And if ye shall be a Zion people, ye must be equal in all things. And he definitely was not. Brigham Young lied when he said that he received the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store. When the scripture clearly says that the father must give the fullness of the priesthood in the temple that Joseph was to build, which was not finished. 
it was not finished, which means the father never came to that temple, which means that Joseph Smith was never given the fullness of the priesthood and that the saints never obtained it. And Brigham Young stated that he received the fullness of the priesthood in the red brick store, but Joseph, and he said he got it from Joseph, but Joseph never had it given to him. And even if he did, the fullness of the priesthood must be given by the Father himself. That's why the temple was required to be built. And Jesus said, if you do not do these things instead of uh, instead of blessings, there shall be wrath and indignation and all kinds of things. And ye shall be rejected as a church with your dead. Later on in section 124, Jesus says, all they who hinder this work shall be cursed to the third and fourth generation. Lyman White, in 1843, records Joseph Smith as talking about the rejection of the church and how that had already happened, that they had been too slow and too slothful and that God had rejected them as a church with their dead and that they were in a poor, fallen state. When Jesus said, that they would be uh, all they who hinder this work would be cursed to the third and fourth generation. One generation for the tribe of of Israel following Moses in the wilderness was forty years. That's one generation. Four generations was a hundred and sixty years, which Jesus said all they who uh, hinder this work would be cursed to the third and fourth generation. That would be 160 years from 1843, which was 2003, when I received the fullness of the priesthood under the hand of the Father himself. And I was chosen to be the Lord's anointed to help redeem Zion, to lead the remnant. And, and Satan has, uh, as God has lifted me up, Satan has, has brought up many Judascope prophets who are teaching a lot of truth, but in key points of doctrine, they are leading the people astray. And this is the test in the great sieve that Heber C. Kimball and J. Golden Kimball talked about, the great sieve where many would fail. Isaiah saw a small remnant who were those who would have God's fullest blessings in the last days. It's not going to be a large amount of people. Anyway, continuing on with the reading. And now the plan of mercy could not be brought about except an atonement should be made. Therefore, God himself, or Jesus Christ, atoneth for the sins of the world and bringeth about the plan of mercy to appease the demands of justice that God might be perfect be a perfect, just God and a merciful God also. Alma chapter 42, verse 15. <coughs> Excuse me, let me get a drink here. See, when you, when you begin to understand that there is an eternal Father and that Jehovah and Michael and Jesus and myself we all have to live by the laws which were created by the Eternal Father and the Council of the Elohim, and that there is a there are rules that have to be followed on each earth. And according to the perfect will of the Eternal Father, 
in helping his children to become like he is, has set in place certain rules and laws which have to be obeyed and followed, even by Yehovah, our Elohim, by Michael, our Father, who is in Adam, our Savior, Yeshua, or Jesus, who is our Redeemer, and myself and any others who would intend to progress up up the ladder towards becoming more like the Father and the Son, or more like God, the Eternal Father, or the Council of the Gods, or the Elohim, or in, in uh, the Hebrew language, Elohim means mighty ones. Anyway, continuing on with the reading. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, thou, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. And that's JST, or the Joseph Smith inspired, God's inspired translation through his prophet Joseph Smith, of the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. God may reside in the bodies of some great man or men. David, the king of Israel, said that one thing have I desired of the Lord, or of Jehovah our Elohim, that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Jehovah our Elohim all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord or the beauty of Yehovah that's why HVH or the Tetragrammaton which it is not pronounced Yahweh it is pronounced Yehovah um, and like if you want to know if you want a really good resource in understanding how to pronounce the name and why it is pronounced Yehovah uh, look up Nehemia Gordon on YouTube, um, I, I can't even go into it, but it's just so beautiful, and, and the study that that man has done, and not just studying other people's words, he went and looked up the manuscripts with the vowel notations in it, and he found he's found Yehovah accidentally written thousands literally thousands of times with the correct vowels for the pronunciation of Yehovah, not Yahweh. Yahweh was what the Samaritans called their God. And uh, there's a whole big old history behind that that I'm not going to get into in this video. But anyway, anywhere I see the Lord, um, if it's not Adonai in the Hebrew scriptures, I'm going to say Yehovah or Elohim. And that's not taking his name in vain. That's speaking his name, which comes with a blessing. And, and Jesus Christ and Yehovah are two separate individuals completely. If, if you've watched my videos before, you understand why I say that. Um, and I might as well just say one. Moses chapter 1 verse 6, Jehovah is speaking to Moses and he says that Moses is in the very similitude of his, Jehovah's only begotten son. Now, if Jesus Christ is the only begotten son, who is Jesus speaking of? But see, Jehovah 
is not Jesus. They're two separate individuals. And this was understood commonly in the church before uh, the ministry of John Taylor. In the 1880s, it began to be changed. And by, uh, by the 1920s, James E. Talmadge pretty much cemented the fact his fact, which was a lie that Joseph or that Jesus Christ and Jehovah are the same individual, they're not. It, it contradicts early uh, early reformed teachings from the prophet Joseph Smith, and it also contradicts Ether chapter three. So anyway, continuing on, <clears throat> that I may dwell in the house of Jehovah all of the days of my life to behold the beauty of Jehovah, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he hath hid me in his pavilion. In the secret in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He also shall also set me upon a rock. Psalms chapter twenty seven, four through five. See also Job chapter fourteen, verses thirteen through sixteen. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. Psalms chapter 32 verse 7. See also 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 16. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6. I think they're stretching. This uh, the author's pretty much stretching in some of that. But anyway, go, continuing on. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covering of thy wings. Shalom or Selah Shalom. Psalms chapter sixty-one, verse three through four. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, or of Jehovah, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, or my Elohim, because Jehovah is an Elohim. In the the Hebrew, when it talks about God in capital letters, it is Elohim. Elohim is not the name of God the Father, as some people in the Restoration want to believe. Elohim is a title which is taken by the gods, and Jehovah is our Elohim for this earth, and under his authority is Michael, our father, who became an Adam for this world, who is the president of this earth under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim. And his two counselors are Yeshua, who is the Redeemer of this earth, and God, the Witness, who is the Holy Ghost. He is my refuge and my fortress, my Elohim, in him I will trust. Psalms chapter 91, verses 1 through 2. Jehovah was an Elohim on an older earth. And then he was an Adam on our last earth. Jehovah was a redeemer on an older earth when Michael was God the witness. 
Yehovah became an Adam of a world on the earth where Michael was God the Redeemer and Jesus Christ was God the Witness. That was the last earth round that we lived. That earth became a heaven or a fire of seeing glass and this earth was created and Yehovah becomes the Elohim of this world and he directs Michael to do the work of creation. So Michael is God the creator, God the father, and he takes upon himself the name of God the eternal father to become the father of this world. He had already become the father of us spiritually through the atonement that he provided on a previous earth. Yeshua became the redeemer for this world and we are his spiritually through the law of adoption because he paid for us and the fall of this world with the price of his own blood, which is a heavy price to pay. Uh, and it's even worse than, than just blood. I mean, the sins and transgressions, if he had not been part God and part man, he would not have been able to endure the pain and anguish that taking it upon himself, the sins of this world, caused him. It would have crushed him like a fresh grape in a wine vat. But he lived because he was part God and part man. He was part terrestrial and part celestial. And through his atonement, he paid for us and we become his spiritually through the law of adoption. And he becomes our father. Even though there are fathers above and fathers below, he becomes our father. And in the next world, he will become an Adam to that world with his wife, Miriam, who will become a Hava, which is the names of God, the eternal father and God, the eternal mother. And my wife and I will go into that world and I will be a redeemer in that world. And the first person I will go to after the atonement that I will have the opportunity of extending to the fallen people of that world, I will, I will go to my wife. And at the end of that world, there will be an Adam and Andayaman where Jesus Christ will gather up all of the keys from all the prophets of the dispensations on that earth, and he will gather them up and he will give them to me. And then a new heaven will be created out of this earth, a Shamaim, or a sea of fire and glass. And a new earth will be created, and I will become the father of that world. And the one who was God the witness of the world before that will become a redeemer. And when we ascend again, I will become an Elohim. And Yeshua, well... Actually, Yeshua will be an Elohim and I'll be an Adam and Yeshua will show me how to create an earth. 
and then the world after that will be an Elohim, and I will show the one who is is going to be the next witness of the Father and the Son how to become a redeemer. And it's just the progression of the gods. The way is very narrow. There are a few that find it. But for the most part, people, they progress from world to world and they do gain more uh, experiences to gain a higher resurrection. We don't just go and sing praises to God and play harps. Although, praises to God, that does happen. When, When I asked God if Joseph Smith was a true prophet and the Book of Mormon was true, I heard millions if not billions of of spirits of God singing praises to his name. So I know that that does happen. Anyway, continuing on. Behold, the king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment and a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind and as a covert from the tempest as rivers of water in a dry place as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land Isaiah chapter 32 verses 1 through 2 and we're getting pretty close to the end here Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. And that's talking about uh, the Davidic servant, actually, in the last days. Um it's also, there's dual fulfillment in Isaiah, but a lot of Isaiah is talking about the last days and what happens with God the witness, who is the Davidic servant, who comes to gather the remnant of the house of Israel so that Zion can be redeemed. Isaiah is talking a lot, a lot about all of that. Anyway, Jehovah shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. I have long time holding my peace. I have been still and refrained myself, and now will I cry like like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 13 through 14. Thus saith the Lord, or thus saith Jehovah our Elohim, the labor of Egypt, or the labor of the wicked, or the Gentiles, and the merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabians, men of stature, businessmen, shall come over unto thee, and they shall be they shall be thine. They shall come after thee. In chains shall they come over. So this is the Gentiles repenting. (coughs) And they shall fall down unto thee. And they shall make supplication unto thee, saying, Surely God is with thee. And there is none else, and there is no God. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, 
O God, or O Elohim of Israel, the Savior. Remember, Jehovah is a Redeemer as well as the Son. Isaiah 45, verses 14 through 15. The Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob, chapter 20, or verse 21, and they that thirsteth not, he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. So this is talking about Moses, but there's going to be a fulfillment of this in the latter days with the man likened to Moses, who is the Davidic servant, who is God the witness come in the flesh. And notwithstanding, he hath done all this, and greater also, there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. First Nephi chapter 20, verses 21 through 22. Um, and chapter 21 is the next chapter that we're going to read. And it says, uh, servants who may be instances of God's condensation. So, and they're, they're going to try to show that God has come down upon the earth many times. And, uh, um, we'll see what they have to say. I don't, uh, I don't agree that God has come down in the flesh, uh, that God the Father has come down in the flesh, but only once. And that was Father Adam, who is Michael. Let me just say this as well. Um, the reason why Jesus said, Hold me not, I have not yet ascended to my Father, is because that day, the first Sunday after the, the high Sabbath of, of unleavened bread begins with Pesach or Passover, the first Sunday is the day of first fruits. That's when Jesus Christ was resurrected. He was born before King Herod died in around 5 BC or sometime in that, that time period. And by the time King Herod died, the, the wise men were looking for a toddler, not for an infant. See, this narrative that they teach you is all screwed up. So these wise men are looking for a toddler around uh, around two years of age, and they go to King Herod, who has not yet died, and they're looking for him. So King Herod goes and he says, all the babies in this area are going to be killed under the age of two. Part of the reason John was an orphan is because Zechariah would not give up his wife Elizabeth or his son, John. He was raised in the wilderness because they were hiding him from the Jews until he could become a man. Because John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus and he was part of that group that they were trying to kill. Jesus was taken down into Egypt because they were trying to kill all the babies under two years of age. King Herod died after that, and we know that he died in 5 BC. Jesus Christ started his ministry in 25 AD. 
he was put to death in the year 28 AD on the eve. <coughs> well, I guess I have to explain this more. So the tradition of the Jews at the time where, where Jesus lived, um, they had a rehearsal meal before Passover or Pesach in the Hebrew the night before Passover began. That's the Last Supper. That's why there was no lamb at the Last Supper, because it was a rehearsal meal. And Jesus took, he drank wine, okay? So he wasn't a Nazarite the way some people think he was. He was raised in Nazareth, which uh, is a town that the descendants of David created. It didn't mean everybody from that town was a Nazar, which um, which is a, a vow you can take, the Nazar vow. Men and women can take this vow. They don't cut their hair, they don't drink wine, and they cannot be around dead bodies. And if they are around somebody who dies suddenly, they have to shave off all the hair of their head and place it upon the uh, the incense altar. And then they got to do a bunch of stuff for whatever, for forgiveness. But Jesus Christ did, you're not even allowed to touch dried grapes. The the skin of the grape, the wine, grape juice, raisins, you can't eat grapes. Like, it's a big deal among the, the people of Nazar. And I actually know somebody who is in Nazar right now. And he's not allowed to do any of these things. Um... But we know that Jesus Christ did all these things and he was around dead people. He raised the dead. A true Nazar wouldn't go anywhere near the dead. If Jesus did that, he would be breaking God's laws, his Torah, his instructions, which Torah means instructions. And uh, he would not be perfect the way he needed to be perfect. Because he would be breaking God's laws. And he did not break God's laws. So coming back to what my whole point was. In the year 28 AD, on a Tuesday night, Jesus Christ had the Last Supper. It was in the next 20 hours or something like that that he was put to death. They had to get him off the cross before the high and holy Sabbath of unleavened bread began, which is a week-long thing, and it begins with the the feast of Passover or Pesach, when they sacrifice the lambs. For the, for the sacrifice of Pesach. Jesus Christ was put to death at the same time they were sacrificing the lambs for Pesach. Or the goats. Because you can actually sacrifice... The, the, the goat or the lamb has to be over eight days old. And um, it cannot be more than a year at Pesach, and it, it can't be with any skin diseases or anything like that. They, you can have black and white lambs and goats, and that that's, they're without blemish. This whole idea 
that uh, it has to be pure white is just uh, uh, foolish. It's, it comes from Gentiles misunderstanding things. But anyway, so Jesus, he paid for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane early Wednesday morning. He was taken early Wednesday morning, went through the whole judgment thing with Pilate and Herod. He went through the flogging of the cat of nine tails, which tore his flesh apart or off. After his uh, after his uh, his time in the Garden of uh, of Eden, and he would have already been dead if it wasn't for the fact that he was part terrestrial. Just the Garden of Eden would have killed him. The cat of nine tails would have killed him. The cat of nine tails would have killed him. But he lived through it because he chose when he would die. And he was able to survive all of these things through the power that God, our father, gave him by being his father and giving him the chromosomes of a terrestrial man. Jesus was put to death on uh, on a Wednesday on the 15th day of Nisan, according to the Hebrew calendar. And he was in the grave for three days and three nights. He wasn't put to death on Friday. So Friday is the beginning at evening of the weekly Sabbath. So people didn't understand the high and holy Sabbaths of Jehovah. These Gentiles said, oh, he was... He had to be taken off the cross before the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was a Friday, and the first day of the week was a Sunday, so we can like, you know, we can say, okay, three days and three nights. He said three days and three nights, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's not three days and three nights. That's a lie. The lie stems from ignorance. Jesus Christ was put in the tomb of of Joseph of Arimathea shortly before sundown on Wednesday when Passover began. His wife did not expect his death and she did not have the thing. So she anointed his body. Before um, before his death, but there's an anointing and there's a ritual that goes on with the dead, which has to be carried out by the wife. He was in the tomb Wednesday night to Thursday night, which whole day was a high Sabbath. She couldn't go and get the ointments or the things that she needed to properly bury him. From Thursday night to, uh, well, let me think, Wednesday night to Thursday night, and then Thursday night to Friday night. So Friday during the day, the markets were open, and she was able to go get the things that she needed to properly bury her husband. But at sundown on Friday night was the weekly Sabbath, and she was not allowed to go and do anything uh, that would violate the Sabbath. 
So he was in the grave for three days and three nights. And the end of the three days and three nights was Saturday at sundown. She had to wait for the sun to go down. Then it's the first day of the week, which day he was resurrected shortly after sundown. So it says that she went there while it was still dark. It was because it was early, early, early morning. And she saw the angel and the the angel said, he is not here for he is risen. And then later when she is uh, very upset, because like, remember, be not forget, uh, forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Like we don't know. And she probably didn't know that these are angels, or if she did, she may have been like, am I hallucinating or whatever? We don't know what's going through her head, but she was in the garden crying because the stone had been rolled away and they took her husband's dead body according to what she thought. And she's weeping and she says, she's talking, she thinks it's the gardener and she says, Where have they taken my husband, my master, my Rabboni? And Jesus said to Mary, Mary, that's all he said, and she knew. And she ran to him to hold him. And he said, hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, Father Adam, and to your father, Father Adam, and unto my God, or my Elohim, that's Jehovah, our Elohim, and to your God, or your Elohim, that's Jehovah, your Elohim. That first Sunday after Pesach is the day of first fruits. So he went to present himself to his father, who at the end of his life, we're talking about Michael, who is Adam, he was translated, he was not dead, he did not die. He went from a celestial state when he was placed in the garden he partook of the fruit of the of the garden and he became terrestrial and then he descended and became telestial and blood infused in him and that was how he and his wife Ashura who became Hava who we know as Eve that's how she and he were able to have children in the flesh cuz celestial beings are infused with plasma or light And they cannot create human children. Uh, At least not mortal children. And at the end of Hava's life and at the end of Michael's life, or E. Adam, basically Michael and Ashura are father and our mother. At the end of their life, they ascended because they had they they go no more out. They never become fully mortal to where they die ever again. 
Jesus doesn't either. And in their terrestrial state, they waited for the atonement of the Son. Enoch and the city of Salem were taken up and they abode with those people, but there were others who were already waiting for them. There's so much more to this story than you begin than you can even begin to understand. Like you're going to when you get to the point where you can accept these things in this world or the next, well, you'll see more in the next world of how God brought the plants and the animal life to this earth, how it was terraformed, how it was created. You're going to understand why the pyramids are there. They are landing vessels for gigantic ships that are like Noah's Ark, except for way bigger. Anyway, but so um, Michael and Ashura waited for Yeshua and the atonement, and when Jesus said, hold me not to Miriam, or Mary, he said, hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. He went to the father at that point to bring him back to a state of celestial glory. Because he paid for the sin and the transgression, or the transgression of Hava, Ashura and Michael Adam. Our father left his celestial throne and gave up his celestial nature in order to bring us into mortality on this earth. Jesus Christ says, I do nothing except for what I've seen the father do. There's so much more. Which people, for the most part, are not ready to even grasp or understand. And Satan has has weaved his lies into, into so many things that without the Spirit of God and confirmation of the and the confirmation of the Spirit, you're never going to understand it. So, all right, well, I think we're done with it for today. This is an hour and 30 minutes. This uh, video, YouTube video, is in two parts. Um, The YouTube video link will be in the description of the podcast, and the podcast will be in the description of the YouTube video link, and there will be a link as, as well to find the reading for what I've read, of course, I've said a whole lot more than the reading today because God has revealed to me so much more and I will talk about those things as we've gone through the programs. So, All right, well, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching this program. And uh, God bless you till we meet again. Shalom.